You are listening to the Wickenburg Pulpit, the preaching ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Wickenburg, Arizona, where we seek to be faithful to Scripture and relevant to life. First Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be at, verses 1 through 7. Now you've probably... You're married today, you've said these words before, or something like them. For sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Well, in 1979, the worst came to Lee Strobel. Well, so he thought it was the worst. He was not a believer, he was an atheist. And in 1979, his world began to unravel. Because in 1979, he received a call from his wife, Leslie, who he'd been married to, that she had now become a Christian. And he said, I rolled my eyes and braced for the worst. He was afraid of what changes would happen in his wife, as he was not a believer. She had just become a Christian. And he knew that this was the worst that could happen. But he said, instead, I was pleasantly surprised, even fascinated by the fundamental changes in her character, in her integrity, and in her personal confidence. Eventually, I wanted to get to the bottom of what was prompting these subtle but significant shifts in my wife's attitudes. So I launched an all-out investigation into the facts surrounding the case for Christianity. And this atheist journalist, sparked by the character of his wife, began to investigate these things, which led to his becoming a Christian. And we know him as a published author. He's written The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for the Creator, and I'm probably leaving out a few more. But what began his journey in faith, was first his wife's salvation and seeing her character. Last week, we looked at the fact that suffering comes to God's people, that persecution comes. And we looked at this topic of of persecution from from perhaps the government. Peter was talking about the kings and governors really pointing to Nero and suffering from uh, ungodly governments and ungodly people, and how do we live a godly life in that midst? But quite frankly, I'm not really worried about some government agency coming into this church and shutting this down. We, we see persecution on the news, we see it happening, but for many of us, it's a distant reality. Even we see, uh, we, you've probably seen on the news, even that, that our Department of Justice has, is, is seeking to criminalize uh, several folks for peacefully protesting at an abortion clinic where they were singing hymns and, and they are faced with perhaps 11 years in prison. Persecution does happen, but it's, it's what we see on the news, it's distant. We come to our text today, it's a little bit more of a delicate and sensitive topic because sometimes that suffering hits a little bit closer to home what is going on in our text today in first peter chapter three as we're going to see in just a moment is let me paint a picture for you here in this particular context as the gospel is spreading, these Gentile families would have been pagans. They would have been worshiping pagan deities, likely polytheists. They were not Christian. But imagine in this context as these two married Gentiles worshiping pagan gods, the gospel's being preached, and the wife becomes a believer. Now that would have caused some strife within this first century family. In our culture, if a wife goes to church and the husband doesn't, it's typically not a problem so long as she doesn't bring it home. But here, this would have been problematic. This would have caused strife. This would have caused some turmoil. 
What is a wife to do in this context? Well, that's what this text addresses. Before I read the text, let me read a quote from a guy named Plutarch, just to paint the, the, the cultural view of the day. Plutarch was a Greek moralist and had an extreme view of submission, and he says this, and this was the prevailing idea of the culture of the day. A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. That's the culture of the day. So you can imagine here a wife coming to faith in Christ. Peter saying, hey, be devoted to Jesus, be devoted to Christ. And now you have this, this family that's got some dissent and some, some struggle in it. And this would have been very hard for a first century family. What is a wife to do in this scenario? Let's read this text and we'll dive in. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to, to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right." Without being frightened by fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. Since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Before we dive in, I want us to make a couple of preliminary comments. Marriage was designed by God. We, we see that in Genesis 2.24. Where it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This was God's plan. This was God's design before the fall. This Genesis 2 happens before Genesis 3. This is God's design. And, and as Josh read earlier in our scripture reading, he read Ephesians 5, which was this glorious picture of marriage where, where they're both believers. Husbands are loving their wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Wives are willfully and joyfully submitting to, to, to their husbands, re reflecting the church's submission to Christ. It's a glorious picture. But we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where, man, this is a great picture that Ephesians 5 gives, and it's certainly something we should strive for, but we live in a sinful, fallen world. Well, that, that may not be what's going on. It's a delicate subject because marriage is filled with brokenness. As we live in this broken world, and your marriage may not reflect the ideal, what do we do? Now, I'm aware that the scripture speaks on a whole host of ways marriage has been broken, right? Scripture speaks of divorce. Scripture speaks of uh, adultery and marital unfaithfulness. Scripture speaks of spousal abandonment. It certainly speaks of all those things. But we are zeroing in today on what this text is speaking about, so... Uh, this sermon is not going to answer all of your questions that you may have. And so I want to say at the front, if, if, if after this sermon you've got some what ifs, what about this situation, what about that situation, we're not going to dive into all of that because we're going to preach this particular passage, okay? But if you have those what if questions and you want to dive deeper into that and have conversations, I've got an open door policy. Let's talk through those things. But this sermon is not going to answer all of your what ifs. But here, in this particular context, it is a wife who has come to Christ in this first century household. Her husband is not a believer. Conflict is certainly present. Strife certainly exists. What is she to do? What does the text say? Now, 
I'm about to get into that. Now, if you look at this text, wives have six verses and the husbands only have one. Okay, that doesn't mean we're going to, I've got plenty of stuff for you husbands in here, okay? So don't, don't fall asleep and wake up at the end, all right? Plenty for you in here. And also, if this is not your situation, if you're two believers married together, things are going well, don't tune this out either because this will hopefully provide you with opportunity to give counsel to folks in very difficult situations. The first thing that we see is that wives pursue godliness in the way that you submit to your husbands. The first thing that I was to want us to see is that wives are called to submit to your husbands, to, to your unbelieving husband, to win them to Christ. This is what the text tells us. So let's dive through this a little bit first. In, in verse 3 it says, in the same way. Now, this is, when we look at that in the same way, it, we may tend to go back and, and, and look at what's before it. And, and, and that wives, we may draw this false view that wives are, ought to submit in the exact same way to their husbands as slaves submit to their masters. Well, that's not what this text is, is saying. But just as we submit to those in order to win them, as it talks about in 1 Peter 2.12, wives ought to submit to their husbands. Now, this call to sum, submit would not, is not demeaning to women. In fact, Peter has elevated the status of women in this passage. You, you see, in the, in the literature of the day surrounding when Peter is writing, you would not address women in a letter. You only wrote to those in authority, to those power structures. You'd only write to masters. You'd only write to husbands. You'd only write to those who, who were in authority and hierarchical structures. But Peter is elevating the status of women here, the fact that they can be addressed, they can learn, they can grow, and he is writing to them. So he is not demeaning women by this call to submit. This idea was not very revolutionary. They, they had this understanding of submission in their own culture. So Peter also is not calling them to, to rock the boat and to cause a lot of turmoil. But the call to submit in this passage is not to just a call to keep the status quo of the culture. As we've read in Ephesians 5, the call to submit to your own husbands is a call to reflect the way the church submits to Christ. It is to reflect the gospel. Now, this call to submit to one's husband is challenged in our culture today. Mainly because of the patriarchy that exists in this, this time period. And they, they, they say that thing, things like, well, they said this because they believed that women were inferior or women were lesser than men. Well, that is not Peter's thoughts. In fact, in, in 1 Peter 3 verse 7 here, as he's addressing husbands, he tells husbands to treat your wives as co-heirs in the grace of life. You are on equal footing with Jesus. Paul in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 he says that there's no male and female, all are one in Christ. There is this, there, there's no status difference. You are all equal in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, although this is challenged in our culture, this call to submit is not a demeaning word to women. What's going on here? Well, First, also, another thing here I want us to address that it says here that wives are to submit to their own husbands. This is not a call for women to submit to men generally, okay? This is a specific context within the, the marriage relationship. Again, men and women are on equal footing, but in this marriage context, wives are to submit to their own husbands, Here in 1 Peter 3, the reason for this is we're going to see that all wives are, call, are called to submit to their husbands, per Ephesians 5. But some wives are going to have, have distinct circumstances with a distinct purpose. So here, God urges 
believing women who have unbelieving husbands, not to escape them, but to win them. Look what the text says. Be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a, a word by the behavior of their wives. This idea of being disobedient to the word. The, the first Peter, and Peter talks about the obedience and disobedience, and he's referring to the disobedience to the gospel. These are men who have not repented of sin. They have not placed their faith in Christ. And you are to submit to these individuals, to these husbands. Submit to them for the purpose that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Don't flee. Don't escape. I know this is not an ideal situation. I know this is causing some problems, but you need to stay in this relationship, display godly character, and in so doing, in counseling this submission and in counseling this, this behavior, to have this godly behavior the, the wife's behavior would mitigate any tension that existed because of her newfound faith. She's still su supposed to submit to her husband where she can. And these believers are disobedient to the word. And it says that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wife. Now, I shared last week that... Behavior is not sufficient to win someone to Christ. Romans 10 says, hearing, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words of Christ. So in this context, even, even in this context, a husband is not going to see his wife's behavior, see a difference, and just all of a sudden, out of the blue, well, I need, a, I, need, I need Jesus. Well, he needs the gospel. He needs to hear the gospel, but... If we remember in that story in Lee Strobel's case, he was not a Christian. He was an atheist, hated Christians, thought they were crazy. It was his wife's character that kind of sparked something in his mind, but it was only after he began to come in contact with the claims of Christ and the gospel that he became a believer. The wife's behavior will, have, will be instrumental into her husband's salvation. The husband still needs to hear the gospel. Now, as we are talking through this, maybe you have some questions. Here, Peter's counseling a, a, a believing wife to remain faithful to her unbelieving husband. And you may have this question, well, pastor, well, doesn't it say to be unequally yoked? Well, certainly it does. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Now, let me offer a few words of counsel here. If you are not yet married, marry a believer. Marry a believer. Missionary dating, missionary marriage does not work out well. Marry a godly man who's connected to her godly woman, who's, who loves Jesus, who's committed to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're married, and there may be a plethora of reasons why this kinds of scenario in 1 Peter may be a reality. In this particular context, both partners were unbelievers. And then the wife becomes a Christian, so, so Peter is saying, stay in it so that you can win him. Maybe... You thought you were marrying a believer. Maybe your spouse professed to be a Christian. And maybe even during the dating process, the engagement process and all that, maybe they're even going to church with you. Maybe they look the, the, the part. But then as you get married, they have no desire for the things of God. And though they profess to be a Christian, the fruit of their lives would seem to say otherwise. That's tough. Whatever the case, Peter urges you to remain faithful to Christ and to remain faithful to your spouse. The goal here is that you would win your husbands without a word. Again, this is similar to 1 Peter 2.12. 
where he says this, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So how does a wife submit? How do, what does this look like? Well, verse 2 tells us that she, the wife is to submit by chaste and respectful behavior. The word chaste means to, means to be pure, clean, or immaculate. Respectable is the word phobos, which is where we get our word for fear, meaning this is a God-fearing, holy woman. And you can imagine in this first century scenario where the wife is already not submitting to her husband's religious views. That would have caused a stir. She's believing in Christ. She's trusting in Christ. But the way that she submits to her husband at home with chastity, this, this, this purity, this immaculate character, woman who fears God, that would mitigate any tension as that husband begins to see, you know, well, she's still, I mean, she's not trying to cause problems. I can see that. She's not trying to disrupt this thing. She's not trying to be disobedient. She's not trying to go off the rails. She's still loving me. She's still serving me. She's still caring for me. Something's going on here. So, the wife, the, the husband who's an unbeliever, his guard begins to come down a little bit as he sees his wife's behavior. She's chaste, she's respectful. But her purpose and her goal is that eventually her husband may be won to Christ. Now, this was Lee Strobel's story, right? was the story that he had his wife became a christian it was her character her attitudes her behavior that that eventually led to him well, what's this about and led to him becoming a christian and maybe you're here today and and you're in a similar situation and your husband's not a christian he doesn't want to come to church he doesn't want anything to do with jesus i'd encourage you to be faithful just as we are to be faithful to christ in first peter 2 we're to be faithful to christ in this context the goal is that through your life, through your godly character, they're going to see that. And eventually, maybe they would say, you know what? Can you tell me more about Jesus? I want to go to church with you. I want to hear about this. I want to know more about Christ. Our goal is evangelistic here. I want to offer a few words of counsel here. If you're in this situation, I know it's hard. I know it would be difficult. You see the Ephesians 5 ideal, and that's not what you have. And it's a struggle. The word for you today is I, I want you to come to that. And I want to give you some counsel that we don't covet what we don't have. This is for husbands and wives here. We may see this ideal in Ephesians 5. We may know God's design, but marriage has been broken. And you may be like, well, man, I, you know, it'd be nice to have this. Don't covet what you don't have. Maybe you see your friend's marriage, and maybe their marriage seems like rock solid. Maybe it seems like they're the perfect Christian couple. And you're like, man, I really would like to have that. Well, guess what? They're sinners too. And they have problems too. And their marriage, although it may look Instagram perfect, it's not. Right? We can make things look better on Instagram, can't we? You know? It's not the case. We're sinners. Don't covet what you don't have. Also, we're, we're called not to love an idea of marriage, but we're called to love our spouse. We're not called to love this idea. We're called to love and submit to a person. You hear me? You with me on that? So even for us believers who have believing spouses, maybe he or she is not fitting the bill right now, but you are called to love and submit to him or her. Not to love this idea and get discouraged when that idea is not the reality. 
Another side note I want us to, to say about submission here is that submission is voluntary. This is willful, voluntary submission of a wife to her husband. Nowhere in Scripture is a husband told to force his wife into submission. And nowhere in Scripture is a husband told to remind his wife that she needs to do this. Husbands, you know what your job is to do? What Ephesians 5 says? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Christ demonstrated his own love for us. Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were not submitting to him. Husbands, you are to love your wives no matter what. It is not your job to force that. It is not your job to remind her. Your job is to love. Another thing we want to see here is that a wife submits to her husband through Christ-like character. This is going to get fun here in verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, Paul also in 1 Peter 2.9, within the context of the church, also says similar things, that a, that a woman should not be focused on these things but should put on and adorn herself with good works that are fitting for godliness. And what was going on in, in, in Paul's day as he's writing to Timothy is that, that women were, were coming to the gathering, adorning themselves in such a way that would draw attention to themselves instead of attention on Christ. And so Paul is rebuking that mentality. Don't do this. The attention needs to be on Jesus. But here... In this particular case, it's slightly different. And I want us to say, it says, your adornment must not be merely external. Peter is not forbidding taking care of yourselves. Peter is also not forbidding looking decent and being attractive. It's okay to look attractive to your spouse. In fact, I'd recommend it. He's not telling you to go home and put on rags. But what he is saying is that this is not the priority. What he says in verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Who you are on the inside is how you're going to win that unbelieving spouse. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. This word gentle is also the word meek. I want to read what it says about meekness here. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict. That he is using them to purify his elect and that he will deliver his elect in his time. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest, and it stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. So this wife who is gentle, even in this situation in 1 Peter where she's become a Christian and he is not. She is gentle and meek because she knows that God has a plan for this, that God is working in this situation, that God is in control, that God is still good, and she can trust him and remain faithful both to Christ and to her spouse in this situation. She's gentle. She's not stirring up strife. She's not stirring up problems. She's gentle. Because she, she's trusting the Lord. It, it, it reflects the character of Christ in 1 Peter 2. We're in 1 Peter 2, 23, it says, that In being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. This wife is entrusting herself in her marriage to the Lord. God, I know you're up to something. I know you're good. My goal is that he would come to Christ, but I'm going to keep 
living this life. I'm going to keep living in this gentle and meek way. I'm going to keep submitting to my husband. I'm going to keep living faithful in my marriage because you're good, Lord. This other reference to this quiet, this, this gentle spirit, we also see here this quiet spirit or peaceable spirit, your versions may say. This word, peace, Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, there may not be a whole lot of peace if he doesn't respect your faith, but you are to do as a, as a wife everything that you can to do to be at peace with your spouse. This is a gentle person, quiet, not complaining. They're not being disruptive. They're not causing a problem because their goal is to win their husband to Christ and they're entrusting all things to the Lord. And as they submit to Christ, they see these Old Testament examples. Verse 5, but in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed him, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by fear. Now, this does not give you husbands an excuse to go tell your wives to start calling you Lord like Sarah did Abraham. Okay? Sarah was showing respect and honor to Abraham in that way, but that is not a prescription for your own marriage. Um, if you try to make your wife do that, you're probably going to be sleeping outside tonight. But a wife is to respect her husband in this way and, and to, to submit in a way that is godly, with godly character, godly behavior. And this, that would have been huge in this first century time. It would have been huge as, as this wife has become a Christian, which would have caused quite a stir. And as she still submits, places herself under her husband, lives with godliness, lives with this purity of character... Over, over time, the Lord would have used that to chip away at her husband's hard heart of stone and draw him to Christ. And that's the goal. I submit to your husband so that you may win him to Christ. Submit via Christ-like character. Now, another thing here, very important, is wives, submit to your husband without fear. Without fear. Want us to zero in on what it says here in verse 6 that you've become Sarah's children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, it may be that wives have an irrational fear for whatever reason, and if so, we, we need to work through that. But I believe that this call to submit can often be distorted. Men, as I said before, are not called, called to force their wives into submission. Even in Christianity, a man may see his role as head and as a result become abusive or domineering. And in this context, a, a wife won't even go to church for fear of her husband. The call to submit is not unilateral, it has limits, and if you are, wives, if you are submitting to your husband out of a place of fear, that is not God's design. The counsel for you, if you're in that situation, is get some help. That is not good for you. You are not a doormat to be trampled on. If you are submitting to your husband out of a place of fear of what he might do to you, we can't help you if we don't know. Reach out to somebody. Get some help. Because that's not the way of the Lord. I believe this is a reality that happens in our culture today. And we've seen marriages broken down by abuse, by uh, whether it's physical, verbal, or whatever. And wives, you are women, ladies, you are more valuable than that. If you are in this context, get some help. Reach out to me. Reach out to any of our deacons or their wives and, and say, look, I need to talk. I, we need to, I'm struggling here. Now, your safety is important. 
So submit to win your husband to Christ. Submit through Christ-like character, but we do not, you do not submit out of fear. Now we move on to a word for the husbands. Hopefully I can get this done in about 10 minutes. Husbands, pursue godliness in the way that you care for your wives. So we move into verse 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, you, you have this same relationship, you're married to your wife, treat her this way. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Earlier this week, I, I sent this meme to, to our deacons. What was in my mind as I was preparing for this, and it's this book that, that from the floor to about here, and it says, How to Understand Women, Volume 1. Right? And maybe, man, you're probably like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Pastor. You know, I, 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 when, when two guys talk to one another, and we say, hey, How's your day? How's your, how was your day today? How do we respond, guys? It was good. That's it. That's all I need. That's what, that's, that's what, that's what I was asking. When you ask your wife how her day was, what do you get? You get enough information to write a novel. Right? I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Right? We're different. And... and, and and here, it, it, we're not to understand all women, but it, is, it tells us to know, live with your wife in an understanding way. Live with your wife according to knowledge is what it says, what it means. Uh, so what does that mean, according to knowledge? First, men, we have to know God's word. If we're going to lead and love and shepherd our wives the way that God has called us to do, we have to know what his word says. We have to know his design, we have to know how it's been messed up, and we have to know what he's doing to redeem the world and redeem marriage. We have to know God's word. Um, also, we have to know our wives. We have to know our wives. What makes our wives tick? What makes our wives happy? Now, uh, I think Gary Chapman can give us some help here. Um, I, I've got a few concerns with, with his book overall, but I, I feel like his book, The Five Love Languages, may give us some help. Anybody ever read that book or know that book or know what's in that um, it offers some, some helpful advice here that I just want to give as, as, as just practical wisdom here as, as a way of knowing your wife. So the five love languages he presents in that book are words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. Now, if you, I, I can tell you what those are later if you missed all of those, but each of these things, your, your spouse probably identifies with one, two, or three of those more than another. For example... If your wife, if the way that she feels loved is to have words of affirmation and you show up with a brand new necklace, it's really not going to mean that much to her. Receiving a gift, yeah, she's going to appreciate it, but what she really, how she really feels loved and valued is, honey, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job with our kids. You're supportive of me. I really appreciate what you do. Man, she's going to be like, ready to fall into your arms with that well maybe your wife feels loved and valued by quality time you can tell her all of those things you could you could give her all the accolades in the world but if you're not willing to spend some time with her well, those words are empty she wants quality time she wants she feels loved and, and valued by spending time man you got to know these things about your wife for some wives, it's physical touch. You could literally be sitting in the same room with her, and she's not going to be happy until you're sitting right next to her, and you're holding her hand, or you've got your arm around her, and there's some sort of physical touch going on. You could be literally sitting in a chair next to her, and, and as long as, if, if you're not right there, smushed together, now that's, what makes, that, that's, that's, what, that's what makes her melt. Know your wife. Well, maybe it's acts of service. You could put your arm around her. You can give her all the accolades in the world, spend all day long with her. But what really shows her your love and affection is acts of service. You can make her happy. And one day she comes home, 
and you've got the house vacuumed, you've got the, every, the clutter put away, and dinner's coming out of the oven in 10 minutes. And some of you wives are like, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen in my house. <laughs> and maybe that's not the norm, but if, if that's your wife, if she's like, acts of service, man, what can you do to show your love to your spouse? Know her, know what she appreciates. Well, the last one is, is, is receiving of, of gifts. And this is not a materialistic sense, guys. This isn't like she's just some material, material hungry, wants stuff. You take your wife home some flowers. Man, she's loved. You, you've, she, that, you, that token of, of love has spoken more to her than any words that you can share. The point is... Know your wife. All of our wives are different. All of our wives, maybe they fit somewhere on the spectrum. Know yours and love her the way that she feels loved. Care for her. Love her. And the second thing here, I want us to see that not only do we need to know God's word and know your wife, we need to treat, treat your wife, men, with special care. Here in verse 7, it says, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with Someone weaker. Your version may say a weaker vessel. Now, we tend to look at this and, and think that, well, yeah, she's, she's the weaker sex, so I'm the one that has to be the authority. I'm the one that's got to pull the weight around here, make all the decisions. That's really not what this text is, is getting at. Yes, there is a physical difference typically between men and women, although I've seen some women bodybuilders who can put me to shame. But, but generally speaking, yes, men and women are different. That's why we think it's crazy that men are, are in women's sports because they have an advantage. But what's being shed here, what's being talked about here, is that we ought to treat our wives as a weaker vessel. Basically what that means is a piece of fragile, valuable china. You, you think of your, your if you got wedding china from your wedding, you don't go outside and toss it like a Frisbee. You don't put that in the dishwasher with your Brit, your 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 regular dishes. We, we've, got, we've got some glasses that we bought at Goodwill. They're like probably 50 cents. If one of those falls out and breaks, who cares? It's not worth anything. But we have wedding china that we got when we, when we were married. It's special to us. We don't want anything to happen to it. We treat it. It's in a, it's in a cabinet of its own. We very rarely, we get it out for special occasions. We hand wash it. We treat it with care. We see this mentality of the wife as a weaker vessel. That's what it's talking about. Treat your wife as you would that piece of fine china. Because you love her and you care for her. You don't want anything to happen to it. So treat your wives with special care. Also, treat your wife as an equal in relation to Christ. Look what verse 7 says here. Show her honor... As a fellow heir of the grace of life. Look at 1 Peter 2.24 with me. I want to replace the hour with her in that text. If you will do me a favor real quick, read this with me this way. And he himself bore her sins, your wife's sins, in his body on the cross, so that she might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds she was healed. Understanding your wife as a co-heir of the grace of life should affect the way that you treat her. If Jesus shed his blood for her and he died for her, shouldn't that change the way we treat our wives? With care, with love, with esteem as Christ did that for her? Treat her with special care. Amen. Lastly, the way you treat your wife 
says something about your relationship to Jesus. Look at what it says here at the end. Treat her this way, live her with her in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she's a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Look at this last part, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That's tough. The way that we treat our wives has an effect on our relationship with Christ. If you know more about football and stats than you know about how your wife feels loved, if you treat her like a doormat instead of a piece of fine china, if you treat her uh, like second class and not like a co-heir of the grace of life, what this is telling us is that you might not be a Christian. Because the way that we treat our wives has a direct effect on our relationship to, to Christ. If we don't invest the time into knowing God's word, if we don't in the, invest the time into knowing our own spouses, if we don't treat her as, a, as, a, as valuable as she is, if we don't treat her as someone that Jesus died for, what this text is saying is that God will not listen to your prayers. Your, your, your spiritual life will hit a stalemate. As men, are you loving your wife in this way? Are you caring for her in this way? Are you, do you know her? Do you know God's word? You know, the scriptures present this ideal marriage in Ephesians 5, a glorious picture. But the Bible doesn't just present us with marriage theory. It tells us how husbands and wives ought to live with one another in a broken world. So maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe, whether you're husband or wife, maybe you're married, not married, and you're not a Christian. God wants your supreme affection. Maybe you're in a similar position as the folks in First Peter, a wife, and you say, man, I, I know I need Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, but my spouse hates Christianity, this is going to cause some problems. I hear you, that's going to be hard, but come to Christ, put your faith in Christ, connect to a body, allow a, this church to walk alongside you in whatever hard things result, your faith in Jesus. You can love Christ and still love your spouse in Christ-honoring ways. If you're an unbeliever, and you're not married, man, I, our culture will throw all kinds of lies to you about what, what marriage is and what it isn't. The Bible is our authority. Trust God's word. Come to Christ. Know God's word and align your, align your lives to the word of God. And maybe you are a believer in here. You're trusting the Lord. But things have been hard. Because the way brokenness has entered into your own marriage. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. Uh, maybe this text didn't address what you're going through. If it didn't, and, 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 and it may not, because there's a whole host of issues that this text didn't address. Find somebody that you can talk to and work through those. Get help. If, if you're confused at all or unclear about what the Bible says about relationships, marriage, sexuality, gender, all of these things because you've heard somebody else say something different, I've got an open door policy. Let's work through those things. If you're here today and you're married and you're, you're, you're believers, but maybe your marriage hasn't functioned biblically as God designed, it's not the unforgivable unforg sin, so repent and seek to obey Christ in this aspect of your life. Again, if you need help with that, my door's open. I don't care if you've been married five years, 25 years, or 45 years. I'm here to help let you live in obedience to the word. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, we've been married longer than you've been alive. But to be honest, our marriage doesn't look much different than that of an unbeliever. 
We want to know how we can reflect Christ more in our relationship together. Man, praise God for that. Let's work through that together. As a church, we want to be a church that champions the biblical view of marriage. God's word is what it says it is. It is truth. But may we also be a place where people who are experiencing brokenness in this fallen world, may this be a place where they can come and find hope in life through the gospel that gives hope and through God's word that gives life. Let's pray together. Father, you are good to us. And God, you've given us your word. You've told us that how we ought to live as husbands and wives in an ideal world. But Lord, you haven't just told us that. You've showed us that this world is very broken. And that, that sometimes marriage can be hard. Sometimes our situations are not ideal. But you've told us how to live within those contexts. And God, I pray for husbands and wives that may be in a similar situation as what was addressed in our text today. God, will you strengthen them? Will you give them the the courage to pursue hard things? Will you give them, by your spirit, empower them to remain faithful in this marriage relationship with this goal in mind of their spouse's salvation? And God, again, if there's any in here that are in a place where they're fearful, God, will you give them the boldness to speak out and seek help so they can find your grace and mercy and healing. God, we thank you and we praise you. And may all of our marriages, the best that we can, picture the gospel relationship of you and your church. It's in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask our men to come forward for the Lord's Supper. As we talked about Ephesians 5 briefly, that pictures this relationship of Christ in the church, how, how he gave himself up for her. Marriage is a visible picture of the gospel, and so is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a, is, is a visible picture of what Christ has done to save us from our sin. Let me read 1 Corinthians 11 real quick and, and note three things that we do today when we take the Lord's Supper. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 